May the grace and peace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Our sermon text for today will come from the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 1 to 18. If you would like to find it in your copy of the Bible, if you do not have the Bible with you, we have it printed in the worship order, and you may read along there in just a moment. I wanted to say that last week I had this great introduction to the sermon, and then I completely forgot to share that introduction, and it rattled me a little bit as the sermon began, and I thought about it off and on, even in the midst of the sermon, how I forgot to tell that great illustration at the beginning of the sermon. And I've completely forgot what that intro was, and this week... I got nothing. I didn't even think of one. And so um, such is the life of preaching and listening to preaching, right? If you are willing and able, please stand for the reading of God's holy word from the Gospel of John, chapter 20. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going towards the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there. But he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head, one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned round and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he said these things to her. That is the word of the Lord. 
May God add his blessings to the reading, the hearing, and the preaching of his word. And all the church says, you may be seated. When last we left off in our story, Jesus had given up his spirit and died. Two older men came and asked to take the body of Jesus down from the cross because they wanted to wrap it and give it a ritual burial. They wanted to treat his body with respect. And so these two older men were granted permission and they took the body of Jesus to a tomb and they buried him there. They wrapped him in linen cloths along with about 75 pounds of spices. And that was on Friday. The Sabbath came and went, and then early in the morning, John tells us while it was still dark, some women go out to the tomb. And it's interesting that he mentions the women going out to the tomb because it was at the cross that we saw that women were the ones who were the closest to Jesus at the cross while the men were far away and hiding. So early in the morning, while it's still dark, a woman goes to the tomb. What I want you to see in this story is that there are a variety of creation echoes and motifs. Throughout John's Gospel, he has used this kind of language. At the very beginning, he said, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. He uses this creation language, and we see conflict throughout John's gospel between darkness and light. Darkness always precedes the light in creation and now in redemption. While it was still dark, she goes out. Little does she know that in just a moment, light will break through and overcome the darkness. But I want you to think of Mary in this moment as someone who has gone to the tomb and you see her in much the way you see the Holy Spirit in Genesis 1. She is brooding over the surface of the deep, looking into the tomb. It's empty. It's void. There's darkness. She's weeping because she has lost someone. She's weeping because her friend Jesus has died. She's weeping now because she's come to pay her respects and his body is gone. The tomb was empty and darkness covered the surface of the deep. Notice in this part of the story, she does not go into the tomb. She simply turns and runs and she finds Simon Peter and John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And she reports to them what's going on. And then throughout the story, you have this repeated phrase, we don't know, we don't know, I don't know. There is a sense of ignorance, not that they are stupid, not at all, but ignorance in the sense of unknowing. They don't know what's going on. They're disoriented. They are confused about this situation. They don't understand what's unfolding before their eyes. I love the fact that Simon, Peter, and John run to the tomb together. By all accounts, by tradition, John was the much younger disciple. And Peter is probably an older guy. Don't, don't know how old he was. But they're both running to the tomb. And for a moment, they're neck and neck. That's a little detail in the story. They're running together. But Simon Peter can't keep up. He's a little bit older. 
The younger guy gets there first, as younger guys tend to do. But this younger guy can't bring himself to go into the tomb. So while he is stooping to look in, very good translation of this word, stooping to look in, Simon Peter comes and he doesn't take time to stop and stoop and wonder. He just goes in. He wants to see what's happening in the tomb. Both of them see the same things. We have two witnesses. They see the burial cloths. There used to be a body here, but the body is gone. The cloths are lying there, collapsed in on themselves. One strange detail is Jesus has taken time to fold a bit of his laundry. A lesson for all men in this room. He's taken time to fold a bit of his laundry, a little detail, perhaps to indicate that the body was not stolen. There's something else at work here. Remember the story of Moses going up on the mountain. He would go up and he would be in the presence of God. And when he came down from the mountain, his face would shine with the glory of God. And it disturbed the community so much that Moses would take a cloth or a veil and he would cover his face and the glory would be behind the veil so that the glory of the Lord did not terrorize the community. Throughout John's gospel, Jesus has been presented as the true and better Moses. Why is that cloth folded up and set aside? Because now his disciples and the world will see him in all of his glory with an unveiled face. Nothing left to hide, nothing left to hide, nothing left to put behind the, the veil, behind the cloth. It's folded up. His work is finished. The disciples are confused. Peter and John are racking their brains trying to figure this out, but they can't make sense of all that's happening in front of them. And they see the empty tomb. They see the cloths. They see the head cloths folded up, and they're scratching their heads. They're racking their brains. Should they believe? Should they not believe? John sees and believes. Peter sees and doesn't know what to do. John tells us that at that point they did not understand the Scripture that Jesus must rise from the dead. Some commentators, some pastors like to pick on the disciples, scold them. They should have known their Bible better. They should have understood the Scriptures. They should have paid better attention. But you know what grief does to you. You know how grief can rob you of your senses, rob you of your understanding, make you forget the things that you know very well? Grief can, can take you out of your rhythm. Grief can make you forget things that you should have known, make you think things you never thought would enter your mind. That's where they are. They look into a tomb. Their friend is gone. A lot of crazy things have, ha have happened this weekend. The last thing on their mind is biblical theology. It's not like they're going to say, let's sit over here under the tree and have a little coffee and work this out. We've got plenty of time. No, they're, they're caught in a moment and they can't quite put it all together just yet. And we've all been there. The Bible is a large book. It has a lot of mystery in it, a lot of truth and grace in it and so many things. We can't get our hearts and minds around all of it, but especially in the moment of sorrow... 
So I give them a pass. I think I would have forgotten much more than they did, but I have the privilege and you have the privilege of not being in a moment of grief and sorrow over the loss of a friend. We get to look at this story from afar and objectively and we get to think through things that they couldn't. And so we can remember things that they couldn't remember and we understand some things that they didn't. I want to highlight for you just a couple of passages from the Old Testament that specifically talk about the resurrection and the resurrection of Jesus. Now, we wouldn't know that these passages were talking about the resurrection of Jesus, except for the fact that the helper that Jesus promised came to the apostles, Peter and John, and reminded them of all that Jesus said and guided them into all truth and revealed to them what the Scripture said so they could write these things to us and then we could go back and read the Old Testament through the lens, through the eyes of the apostles with the Spirit helping them and then also helping us. And so the Spirit will eventually reveal to them these things. Psalm 16.10 says, You will not abandon my soul to Sheol, nor let your Holy One see, uh, see corruption. You made known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Isaiah 53.10 It was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. And Job 19 says, As for me, I know that my Redeemer lives, and that the last he will take his stand on the earth, even after my skin is destroyed, yet from my flesh I shall see God, whom I myself shall behold, and whom my eyes will see, and not another. And Isaiah 26 says, Your dead will live. Their corpses will rise. You who lie in the dust, awake and shout for joy, for your dew is as the dew, uh, as the dew of the dawn, and the earth will give birth to the departed spirits. And Ezekiel says, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and cause you to come up from your graves. I will put my spirit within you, and you will come to life. So we see in Jesus Christ the fulfillment of these promises of God to resurrect, to raise to life His people beginning with His Son, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. And so just with that little bit of information, you understand and know more in this moment and Peter and John understood in the moment when they stooped to look into the tomb. What a privilege, what an advantage to live on this side of the resurrection in the wake and the aftermath of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What a privilege you have to know the truth of the mystery of the gospel. The scriptures said that he must rise from the dead. It was necessary for him to rise from the dead. And God who made the promise, kept his promise by the power of his spirit and raised Jesus from the dead. The disciples can't take it. It's more than they can bear. And so they do what men do. They go away. They want to get by themselves. They want to get alone. 
The story says they go back to their homes, so they don't go to the same place. Each one goes his own way. They need some alone time. You've been there, right? You've got a lot on your mind. You don't want to sit around with your buddies, chewing the fat, making small talk. You don't want to be around a bunch of people, so they go to ponder these things. Mary does what women do. Mary stayed right there. Notice in the story she's still weeping. At this point in the story, she's standing outside the tomb. And you know why she's standing outside the tomb? Because she's trying to pluck up the courage to do what Peter and John did. She wants to do what they did, but she's not sure. So she stands there, and then eventually she eases over to the tomb, and then she does what they did. She stoops to look in. Now the reason they're stooping to look in is because the tomb is not a, a cave uh, that you could just walk straight into. It's more of a hole in the ground and there's a cutout and the, the entrance is low. And so you you gotta, you got to humble yourself a bit. you got to look down into this thing. It's dark in there. So she finally gets the courage to stoop in and look and then she sees what Peter and John didn't see or at least they didn't tell her they saw it. Two men dressed in white. I can't even imagine what that would have been like. I thought about it this week. I, I thought about how utterly terrifying that would have been. Because the last thing on your mind as you look into a grave is you're thinking you might see someone you love in there. You might see a body. You might see something less than a body. But the last thing you expect to see are two men in white sitting at the head and the foot of this tablet upon which Jesus was laid. Interesting imagery here. If you go back into the Old Testament, you know that there were times when uh, you have uh, pictures of two angels together. One of the times you see that is in the Holy of Holies. Two angels were crafted and set atop the Ark of the Covenant, and they faced each other, and, then, and their faces looked down into the, the mercy seat. There's some imagery here as Mary stoops to look in. This tomb has become a kind of holy of holies. They're looking beyond the veil. They're seeing realities that they wouldn't have seen otherwise, and there are holy ones in there. Why are you weeping, they ask. They know why she's weeping, but they're engaging her in conversation, which would have been the, the second level of terror. Yeah, I am actually seeing what I think I see, and now it's talking to me, whatever it is. I love the fact that Mary of Magdalene stands right there, stoops right there, and engages them in conversation. They have taken away my Lord, and I don't know where he is. Why is that question, why is her statement so important? It's important because you see her single-mindedness, don't you? It doesn't matter what else is going on. Peter and John can run away and think all they want. The sun can rise or not, it doesn't matter. There are spirit beings in this tomb sitting where Jesus was. It doesn't matter. What matters to her is Jesus. Where is Jesus? And I would to God that we had that kind of single-minded devotion 
where it didn't matter to us what else was going on, but we want to know, where is Jesus? Where have you taken him? Is he coming back? Can I go to him? Show me the way. And she turns to leave the tomb, I suppose. She puts her back to it to walk away. And there's a gardener standing there. Again, critics like to get on to Mary because they can't believe that she didn't recognize the man she loved the most in the world. But again, you know what grief does to you? It changes your perspective. It, it, it makes you not see things clearly. And this woman is weeping. You've looked at the world through eyes filled with tears and you know what it looks like. How blurry and foggy and distorted things can be. So give her a break. She didn't recognize Jesus, a man that in her mind was still dead. All she sees is a gardener. And it all makes sense. Of course you would see a gardener early in the morning. A gardener who has come out to tend this garden to take care of business. Perhaps he was a friend of Jesus or perhaps Joseph or Nicodemus sent him. Whatever the case, she sees a gardener. There's something I want you to see as we think about the gardener. Remember I said that this story is filled with all of these creation motifs and echoes. And what she is seeing and John's way of telling the story is she is seeing the true and better Adam. A new man. A new man who has been birthed out of the earth. A new man who has come to cultivate the new heavens and new earth. He is the gardener. He's just not the gardener she expected or the gardener she thought he was. She engages in conversation. Where is this Jesus? Where is my Lord? Tell me, I will go and get him. You know as well as I do that Mary doesn't have the strength to carry Jesus if she does find him. There's something interesting in the story. It's at this moment that the gardener speaks to Mary and he calls her by name. Mary. Hey, Mary, look at me. And suddenly everything becomes clear. Why is this? Track with me through the story. Mary call, uh, Jesus calls her by name, Mary. And then she recognizes that it's Jesus. And what is her response to Jesus calling her by name? It's a confession of faith. Teacher. Rabboni. Which means my teacher. And what else do we have in this? Not just the calling and not just the confession, but tucked in between those things is a conversion. She turned. She turned. Now that's all a part of that narrative and that story, but I want to suggest to you that it's also a part of your story. When did your life change? When did things become different for you. It was not when you heard religious messages a thousand times over. It's not when you even heard the gospel a thousand times over. But things changed for you the day, the moment, whenever that was, when Christ called your name.
theologians call that effectual calling. It's not just a general call for anyone and everyone, but He called you. He called you by your name. Just as He called Lazarus out of the tomb. Remember, Lazarus, come forth. He didn't say, everyone come forth. The graveyard would have emptied that day. Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus came. Now, Mary. And Mary turns. It makes all the difference in the world, doesn't it? And throughout this story up to this point, there has been the repeated phrase, I don't know, we don't know, they don't understand. But from this moment on, now that Jesus has called Mary by name, suddenly everything becomes clear. He reveals Himself to her. He unveils Himself to her. And now she sees. When she goes to the disciples, she says, I have seen the Lord. She was able to see the Lord because He opened her eyes when He called her name. Just as He opened the eyes of your heart when He called your name. In this resurrection story, we see the new Adam in the garden. We see God-man in the world establishing the new heavens and the, and the new earth. This is a new beginning. It is the first day of the week. In Greek it says it is the first of the Sabbaths. It is as if God hit the reset button on creation. And the curse of sin and death will now be reversed from this moment on. Grace and truth will begin to fill the world. And it will come in the power of Jesus Christ. The disciples didn't understand that. Mary didn't understand that at the moment. But we do because we live in the aftermath of the resurrection. We live in light of revelation that God has given to His people throughout generations. And now we see and hear clearly the things that they were confused about in that moment. Jesus says something very peculiar in this story as he sends Mary off with a message. Go and tell my disciples, right? Go and tell my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. The thing I want you to note there is he says, I am ascending. He's standing on the ground outside the tomb, but he tells Mary, I am going up. And if you were to go back and read from John 13.1 until now, you would see that in John 13.1, we learn that Jesus is ascending. I am ascending to my Father. In John 17, as He prays, He says, I am no longer in the world, but you are in the world. The disciples are in the world. So there's something mystical and strange about the resurrection. Things have changed in the life and person of Jesus. He's there, but He's on His way out. He is between two worlds at this point. Go tell my brothers that I am ascending to my Father, to my God. And we learn in this statement, think of what's at stake here. When Jesus says, I am ascending, if you go back in context, what you see is that the ascent of Jesus, the going up of Jesus encompasses what? 
the washing of the feet, the breaking of the bread, the passing of the cup, the trek across the valley into the garden, the betrayal, the trial, the suffering, the flogging, the crucifixion, the giving up his spirit, the being buried. All of that is a part of his ascent. In other words, all of the things that we, from a natural point of view, a human point of view, look at and say, no, this is all about descent. It's all about going down. Jesus' life is unraveling. Things are going not the way they ought to go. The gospel tells us a truth that we need to get our hearts and minds around. And it's, here's the truth, that the way up is down. The way up is down. And Jesus has gone down, down, down from the point of view of the story. But in the estimation of His Father, from the point of view of His Father, He has been going up and up and up. He is ascending. He is ascending. He's going up in esteem. He's going up in glory. He's going up in prestige. He's going up in honor. How? By serving, sacrificing, by laying down His life, by doing His Father's will. Go tell my brothers, I am ascending. I'm going up. And so she runs off to tell them. I love the fact that in this story, the first gospel messenger after the resurrection is a woman. It's Mary of Magdalene. In Greek, it says that she went and announced, and the word announced sounds like the word for angels that's used. She is a messenger. And so Mary becomes this angelic messenger that goes to the disciples to say, I have seen the Lord. She's the first one to see Him. And she doesn't keep the news to herself. She tells the church about it. And she conveys to them what Jesus had said to her. The story is bookended by this character, this woman, Mary. It begins with her weeping, but we see now that she was weeping for joy. Weeping for joy because now her mourning has been turned into dancing. Her tears have been wiped away and there is a smile on her face. Her speculation has been wiped out by the revelation of who Jesus is. And the bad news of we don't know and I don't know and we're ignorant and we're in unknowing and we're lost and confused. All of that bad news has been wiped out by the good news. The good news that Jesus died and on the third day he rose again from the dead. The good news that there is light after darkness. There's joy after sorrow. The good news that there is communion with Christ after isolation and loneliness from Him. The good news that 
Jesus, the life giver, has come. And he's called you. He's called me to go with the disciple whom he loves and to stoop and to look in and see that the tomb is still empty. The cloths are still collapsed and vacant. The, the face cloth is still folded up. The glory of God fills the earth. And this is what John has been telling us since the beginning, that the God-man, the Word became flesh and dwelled among us, and we have seen His glory, the glory as of the only one born of the Father, who came into the world full of grace and truth. And now in John's Gospel, he is inviting us to come and contemplate and see and believe this grace and truth. Brothers and sisters, as we begin a new year, with all of its challenges, all of its sorrows, all of its struggles, all the things that we bear in life, let us begin knowing that Jesus Christ our Lord has risen, and He has risen indeed. Let us pray together. Adorable Redeemer, you who was lifted up on a cross are ascended to the highest heaven. You who as a man of sorrows was crowned with thorns are now as the Lord of life wreathed with glory. Once no shame more deep than yours, no agony more bitter, nor death more cruel. And now no exaltation more high, no life more glorious, no advocate more effective. What more could be done than you have done? Your death is our death, your resurrection our peace, your ascension our hope, your prayers our comfort. For your glory and by your grace. Amen.